You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is our review of Beasts of the Southern Wild. The whole universe depends on everything fitting together just right. Have one piece bust, even the smallest piece, the entire universe will get busted. is an aurochs, a fierce creature. The storm's coming! The storm's coming! Y'all better learn how to survive. I'm your daddy, and it's just my job to take care of you, okay? And it all goes quiet behind my eyes. I see everything that made me. pieces. I see that I'm a little piece of a big, big universe. You're gonna be the king of the bad time. I promise that. In a million years, when kids go to school, they got to know. Once there was a hush puppy, and she lived with her daddy in the bathtub. Alright everybody, you were just listening to the trailer for Beasts of the Southern Wild. And the story is as follows. Six-year-old hush puppy lives with her father, Wink, in a remote Delta community. Wink is a stern taskmaster, but he is preparing his young daughter for the end of the world. When Wink falls mysteriously ill, nature seems to fall ill with him. Temperatures rise, the ice caps melt, and fearsome prehistoric beasts called aurochs run loose. Raising waters threaten to engulf their community, sending Hush Puppy in search of her long-lost mother. The film is starring Quivenjane Wallace, Dwight Henry. It is written and directed by Ben Zeitlin and co-written by Lucy Alabar. Here to join me today for this 2012 retrospective review, I have Lauren LaMagna. Who's the man? We also have Danilo Castro. Hey, everybody. Josh Parham. Hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Beast it! All right, anyway. Oh, I'm very, very excited to talk about Beasts of the Southern Wild, a movie that I would have loved to have seen this at its world premiere at the Sundance Film Festival back in 2012. But I wasn't going to the festival back then. I saw this movie actually when it came out in theaters, and then I saw it really only just now for the second time since 2012, 10 years later. I've listened to the score a lot in the 10 years since this movie has come out, but I haven't actually gone back and revisited the movie. And while I definitely liked it at the time, I can't say that I was as blown away by it as some others were necessarily. So revisiting it 10 years later, definitely I had a more fresh perspective this time around. I think also just a greater appreciation for... The type of filmmaking that Ben Zeitlin really pulled off here in his feature directorial debut. And also, too, just what a discovery Quavenjane Wallace 
and Dwight Henry were at the time here. Really, this film is brimming with imagination, creativity on such a small scale. But Ben Zeitlin just has such a way of conveying it through such a wondrous perspective that people really fell in love with this movie when it came out and still continue to love it to this day. So let's talk about it here. Why don't we start off first with Dan Baer? Because, Dan, I, I know that you've been just chomping at the bits to want to discuss this movie ever since this retrospective began. So why don't you tell us what you thought of Beasts of the Sever Wild back then in 2012 and what do you think of it now, 10 years later? Um. Yeah, so back then I was very much in love with Beasts of the Southern Wild. I believe it was my number one film of the year at the time. Uh, I, yep, yep, yes, it was. I just double checked, and yeah, it was my number <laughs> one film of the year at the time. Um, and I was in love with it from the first second I saw it. Pretty much, um, it had a sort of magical pull that I was just in its orbit from that first viewing and never stopped being. And I think it got something so right about magical realism that so many films get wrong. And for the longest time, I was kind of at a loss to explain that. But now watching it in full again for the first and second time since 2012, I think I can. And it, it's even a more impressive magic trick than I realized in 2012. And the, the reason that this film is so good at magical realism is that it's not really that it's magical. It is that everything in this film is filmed so clearly and so beautifully through the eyes of, the, of a child. Yeah. Through the eyes of a child who has been brought up to have a very specific view of the world. And as adults and people who know more about the world that exists, and also knowing that the film does not take place in a completely fictional world, we can see what is really happening here, even as this adorable child is telling us about all these mystical magical things that are happening i love this movie still um i think some of the seams show a little more now um 10 years out but i just think this movie is something of a miracle the fact that it's a first time director first time screenwriters first time actors in the lead roles it that this film managed to be as good as it is in the way that it is is just miraculous all right well starting off very very strong here with dan bear's opening thoughts why don't we take it over now to lauren la magda okay so like dan this was probably my favorite film of 2012 and thinking about um, my life in 2012, I was a teenager. I was in high school and I'm, I'm probably aware that I'm the youngest person on this show right now. And I also think that was the year of hurricane Sandy. We, I probably just got out of that where I was one of those, I was in one of those families where my dad did not make us leave, did not let us leave the house, even though we were supposed to leave the house because we were in a flood area and we kind of just hung tight as our neighborhood got flooded. 
And I think watching this film after going through that experience at, I don't know, 15, 16, um, did something to me. So it really made magic with me. So it jumped right back to the list, to the top of my list. I don't remember seeing it since. And you age so much between, you know, your teenage years and your 20s. A lot of life happens. So that adds a whole nother level for me. And I still think this film is a little piece of magic. And I normally don't like um, magical realism. It normally pulls me out of the movie for some reason, probably execution-wise. But here it actually pulls me deeper into the film and deeper into Hush Puppy's mindset. And I think that is just a testament to the direction of this film. I think it's a phenomenal debut on all accounts from our director to our actors, to our writers, to every person part of this um, film and I see the imperfections in it and I actually kind of love that it's you know a rough dirty movie that has imperfections to it because you see all of the heart of this film you see that it's a film that was made on very little money and just on pure artistic love and what made me love it even more this time is just its connection or its statement about um, the connection to the universe and I just love how where the statement of we are all as important as the next entity on this universe and on this planet. And I think that's a beautiful reminder because I feel like humans like to separate themselves from the world and the ecosystem and all of that stuff. So it was nice to see that again. And I really do think that this film is a little, little piece of magic and I'm so glad that it's here. Great. All right. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello. This is Gary Chahot welcoming you to check out the French History Podcast. Our main show covers the history of France from the first humans until present. If you liked Mike Duncan's The History of Rome and wanted a similar program covering the land of beauty, culture, and love, we are exactly that. We also host world-renowned scholars who have delivered guest episodes on their specialties, including 18th century pirates, revolutionary booksellers in 20th century Paris, the special friendship between the Marquis de Lafayette and Thomas Jefferson, and numerous others. Learn what you love and listen to the French History Podcast today. Danilo Castro, we're up to you. So I think I'm the only one on here who had never seen it before. This is my first viewing. Oh, okay. Yes. Fresh eyes. And so, yes, fresh eyes. And I was very impressed, very pleased with what I, I had high expectations going in and I think they were all mostly met. Um, I forget who said, uh, that sometimes magic realism can kind of take, uh, the viewer out. I think it was Lauren. I agree with that on the whole. I think one is often sacrificed, uh, for the other, but I think this is the rare case where they sort of work perfectly in tandem. Um, I was completely enraptured with, the realistic parts and how the sort of more fantastical elements sort of 
uh, lent credence to them and, and didn't, it just, it all meshed so well. And I'm sure we'll get into more specific examples later on, but I was very impressed, especially given that it's first time director and that it's such a young performance, a young performer, um, everything, it just felt, you know, it's such a cliched expression, but this feels like a magic in a bottle film. And, uh, so as someone who had relatively not a ton of information going in, I, I absolutely was was uh was pleased all righty josh parm so i came to this movie sort of in the same position where you were matt where when i first saw it in 2012 i remember liking it maybe liking it a bit more than you did it sounds like but there were quite a few other movies that i just had a stronger reception to so because of that i haven't really revisited this movie in the 10 years that it came out and watching it very recently was the first time i had seen it in probably since that time. And I do think I responded to it maybe just a little bit more now. I still have like some issues with it. And I think particularly once we get past like the first act and the storm passes, I do think that the pacing of it does suffer a little bit for me. There's this real kind of vibrant energy to the beginning of this movie that kind of dissipates a bit intentionally so and it focuses in on more character stuff which i do appreciate but i do think i miss a little bit of that energy at the beginning of the movie when it uh, keeps going on but i do think that the vision that zeitlin has created here is one that is so fascinating and dan mentioning about this idea of seeing the world through the perspective of a child and kind of recognizing the things that maybe a child doesn't understand, but has some awareness of and reconciling all that within this kind of magical uh, landscape, I just think is so captivating. And uh, yeah, at the end of the day, I still think it's a really brilliant piece of filmmaking and it looks great. It sounds great. The score is absolutely amazing. The performances are so endearing and yeah, despite some of the shagginess, as Lauren mentioned, and kind of how rough around the edges it is, there is still something about it that is very inviting from a storytelling perspective. And yeah, I do think that this is a pretty special movie that I really do enjoy. Yeah, so back in 2012 when I saw this, I think the reason why I was not as blown away by this as, a, as I was hoping was actually to do with the 16 millimeter uh, film that it was shot on because... Back then, I was just very surface level. You know, I liked my pretty images and I didn't really appreciate true independent filmmaking back then as much as I do now, especially having exposed myself to a lot more over the years. And so I thought the movie was okay, but I definitely had kind of a shrug attitude towards it in terms of, oh, that's what everyone's going crazy about. Like, still thought it was good, but just wasn't, you know, the type of film that was landing on my top 10 list at the end of the year was all... Uh, watching it again now, though, and seeing that vision that Zeitlin has for this, I know that the term magical realism is getting thrown around a lot here, but I'm actually very surprised at how much of this movie still feels entirely real and extremely plausible well in terms of the way that it looks at this, you know, this Louisiana bayou a community that's living in poverty like on the water it, it feels almost post-apocalyptic at times almost and, and like i feel like in other movies we would see something like that but you then remember that there is this other community that's living probably the way exactly as we're living on the other side of the uh outside of the bathtub you know that's where 
regular quote unquote like civilization is and over here are these you know outcasts that normally i think a lesser filmmaker would paint in a more negative light as being downtrodden as being bleak and hopeless but there's so much life and energy to this community and it really goes to show you that life is truly just what you make of it despite the circumstances that you're born into and hush puppy um as i think it was lauren who said it before or whoever whoever spoke first dan probably anyway you all probably think it and you all know it as well we see this movie through her eyes and once you have that perspective in place you know, there, we've seen movies, you know, just even recently that have been told through children's eyes, Jojo Rabbit, Belfast. And while they all have like kind of that unique perspective to them that enables the filmmaker to get away with certain liberties in terms of the storytelling, Zeitlin's doesn't ever go for, quote unquote, cute or family friendly. It still feels very raw and it still feels incredibly honest and real despite the fact that it is this made up place in a world that blends that line between reality and fiction. And I I just really love I really love that. I love that like the idea of when you're watching this movie of like, "Oh, is this real or is this not?" You kind of just forget about it and just accept it as it is through this character's eyes. Yeah, it was really weird watching it for the first time since 2012, because the first time that you watch it, I think you have this sort of like that question of is this the real world? Is it not the real world? It's it's kind of the real world, but also kind of not. And then watching it again for the first time, I was like, I was firmly in the camp of, okay, so this is a real world like this is an actual community we're seeing, you know, it's an it's an allegory for like Hurricane Katrina and the denizens of the Ninth Ward and how they were treated by government and all this stuff and how they survived. And you can even take it even beyond that and yeah. you know use it for global warming, you know, and which Hurricane Katrina and any hurricane and anything that about our environment is obviously a byproduct of. Yeah, and I think that it made me notice a lot more about the film than I think I did the first time through. It made me see like the, the quote unquote real story of what is happening as opposed to hush puppies understanding of what is happening. Mm. And it made me notice that in a way that weirdly took me out of the film more. Like I did not have the emotional reaction to it on that watch that I did the first time that I saw it. And, and that kind of surprised me a little and made me a little sad, (laughs) (laughs) but then, but then I watched it again. Um, I watched it again. I, while I was writing, doing my final pass on the review that is, will be up on the site for, for this movie. And that time it, did like all the emotions hit me just like I remember them hitting me in 2012 because I was able to get more into Hush Puppy and Hush Puppy's story as opposed to the story that an adult would see. It was a really interesting experience. 
Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of our 2012 review of Beasts of the Southern Wild here on the Next Best Picture podcast. In order to get the full nearly two-hour-long review, you will have to head on over to Next Best Picture's Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, you will get the rest of this review and other exclusive podcast content from us as well. You have been listening to the Next Best Picture podcast. We are proud to be part of the Evergreen Podcast Network, and you can subscribe to us anywhere where you subscribe to podcasts. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time. I'm a grown-up. Me too. Yep, me too. But you know, these days, being a grown-up can really suck. Luckily, we're grown-ups who grew up in the coolest generation. We had video arcades. And also some of the best TV and movies ever made. We lived the origin of awesome consumer electronics. The list goes on and on. Yep, Generation X. Exactly. And we're Gen X Grown-Up. Every week, the Gen X Grown-Up podcast explores media, tech, toys, games, and more from both yesterday and today. Through the eyes of Generation Xers who absolutely love that stuff. You can find us on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Or find us on our website, genxgrownup.com. Alright, you think that was good enough? I I hope so, man. I'm tired. (laughs) Who listens to a promo on a podcast and then goes and listens to a different podcast? Right. I've never done it. (laughs)